And so happy Father's Day, you know, uh, to, to all you fathers, and, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Now, we're in this series called You Ask For It. If you're brand new, if you've or never seen this before, okay, see, that's perfect, <laughs> right? Uh, today, actually, we're really going to talk about how God hears the sound and the cry of children. And he begins to turn Malachi chapter 4, the last verse in the Old Testament. God said, fathers, I'm going to turn your hearts towards your children. And he didn't end there. Do you remember the back half of that promise? I'm going to turn the hearts of your children toward their fathers. It's a promise. We know that's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I'm so glad y'all were here. And if that child starts laughing or crying, it's not going to interrupt me at all. I think it's going to be a good reminder, you know, for us as to really what we're doing and how important it is in raising our children to honor the things of God. Amen? So, we're in this series called You Ask For It, and we've been asking several different questions, and you got to choose all the questions. So we passed out the cards, you wrote them all out, and so we've already done a couple of them. Here is the question for today. What are generational curses and generational blessings from a biblical perspective? And then there was the secondary question. Do we participate in a biblical sense of, quote-unquote, karma for generations to come? Let me answer this one first. So karma, as you probably know, is more of a Hindu, Buddhist uh, uh, belief and perspective. And so karma really has nothing to do with generations to come. They, they believe in reincarnation. As you know, in Christianity, we do not. And so karma is all the decisions that an individual makes, they believe, set up their next life, will either enhance or improve their next life or not. So it really has to do more with the individual, not with the children or what is passed on to the children, good, bad, or ugly. And so there's really no sense of biblical. Now, and, you know, we do believe in uh, the, the sowing and reaping, the whole principle of sowing. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap, right? And so in that sense, you know, uh, we, we do uh, carry this sowing and reaping. So this, what are generational curses and blessings from a biblical perspective? I love the question. You just need to know, I don't even know if I can answer all of the question. I'm going to do the best I can with what I, what I understand. Because it's, 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 it's really questions like this that remind us that when Paul was trying to share deep spiritual truths, eternal truths, with his church in Corinth, and understanding that we're all finite, we only know what we have experienced in our life. And what we can read from the wisdom of those who have preceded us. And so Paul was trying to say, there's no way we can really understand it. But he said, in fact, right now, at our best, we see through a dark glass dimly. We're trying to figure it out. But we can't figure it out. Ecclesiastes said, I've set the heart of eternity in a man so that he wants to know, but he can never know. Right? But then Paul continues in Corinth and he said, however, one day you will know fully even as you are fully known. One day we're going to sit in a world more real than the one that we're experiencing right now. And our eyes are going to open up and we're going to say, oh, 
See, now I get it, right? But until then, we're just doing the best we can. Here's what I do know about this question. All of us as parents want our children blessed by God, don't we? And it means a lot to us. The biggest burden on a parent is that our decisions negatively impact our kids. And when we see our children suffering, one of the first questions we ask is, what did, what did I do wrong? What, what did I not get right? So that my child is suffering for my poor decisions. And that's, that's a burden that we carry. We all want our children blessed. But we also all b- probably believe that at least at some point we messed up God's plan. We got in the way of it and did something wrong. So it's a great question to deal with. Now, here's a question for you. Do you believe, just, I just want to take an assessment of the room so that I'll know how to gear my thoughts. Do you believe in generational curses and blessings? Just, there no right and wrong here. I just need to know what your perspective is. So do you believe in generational curses and blessings? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, about half the room, maybe a little bit more than half the room. I do believe that my life is more blessed because of my grandparents and my parents. I believe they really positioned me for an opportunity to be blessed by God in all the decisions that they made. And so, do you, just, do you believe in generational curses? But here's the same question. Does science support, for those of you who said yes, does science support your point of view, yes or no? Raise your hand if you say, yep, science supports my point of view. Okay, or, or I do not know. Only like three hands went up. And so I, I, we're going to talk about that just a little bit today. Number four, does the Bible support your point of view? Raise your hand. Okay, a bunch of hands are going up. Yes, I believe the Bible supports my point of view. Can you tell me where in the Bible that support is found? Two hands, maybe three. Okay, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> we're going to... Talk about this and discover this and look at it together. And so we really want our children blessed by God. And we don't want to stand in the way of that. And we know because we've experienced, especially this church, because we're so heavily invested in foster care, that we see these children who, even when they are just born and they go either into foster care or into an adopted home, we see that the trauma that was experienced by their parents or their mom has, has somehow transferred on to the trauma of that child, even if they never were in that home one day. And so we're dealing with trauma children are different. So we see a lot of evidence of that. Just real quickly, here's just another example. So remember September 11, when uh, the towers and that whole event there were 1,700 pregnant women directly affected by that event. It just, the, the trauma, the loud noises, everything emotionally, psychologically, physically that was associated with that event. They gone and continued doing studies on the children that were born from those 1,700 families. And do you know that they are overwhelmed at how many of those children are negatively affected by loud noises, 
and shocks in their system that they're having to deal with from the PTSD, you know, from the parents all the way down into the children. And so they're like, okay, so the science follow? What I want to do today is I want to show you the beginning of it, you know, where this really all started biblically. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus 20. That's where we're going to start or have it here or get your phones out. Just turn your ringers off. And so we're going to look there and then we're going to look just briefly at how science you know, affects it. Then we're going to look at our tension that we carry on the idea. And then I just want to give you four things to remember through the process. And then we're going to go eat more donuts. So here we go. And there, by the way, there's some handouts in the P-Rex in front of you. If you're a note taker and you like taking notes, man, the, so there it is available to you. So here it is in Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. I visit the sins of the parents upon the children. Pause. And in your, I put the word lay, the use of the translation says, I lay the sins of the parents on their children in, in what you have in front of you. And there are different words that are associated with this Hebrew word. It's an interesting word. It's only used four times in all the Bible, twice in the book of Exodus, once in Leviticus, and once in Deuteronomy. All four times. It has to do with the impact of the sins of the parents that, that somehow is transferred to the children, to their, to their offspring. And so, I visit the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And this is key. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations to those who love me and obey my commands. Now, Exodus 20 is in the middle of when Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to all of God's people, to all the Israelites. And so this comes from the law. Those of you who already your mind is jumping with me like, yeah, but we don't live under the old law. You, you've already got it. Because at the end of the message, I'm going to do Galatians 3 where, you know, Paul tells us and reminds us Jesus Christ on the cross broke the curse of the law and, and the passing of that onto our children if we love and obey him. Okay, this is where it started, though. So it's, it's a great question because we know that biblically this concept is true. Now, when he says, I visit it, it's, it's, it's such a unique word because it's not I punish the children. It's not they're free from any effect at all. It's just like it, it, goes, with, it goes with them. If there are men and women who... I'm calling them, I'm asking them to be obedient, but if they just completely reject me, if they reject me, there is physically the weight of that information of, of the genes passed through the protein, all this stuff, onto the DNA. It transfers from parent to child. It goes with them. And unfailing love for those who are obedient, who love me, that what you lavish on your children, that also goes with the children. Now, this is all under the law. It's all, that's just the way you were hardwired. Now, does science support it? How many of you know about epigenetics and you, you just can't get enough of epigenetics? Okay, so... I've, just, I've read so many articles on this. I'm not even going, listen, I'm neither a doctor nor do I play one on TV. So I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. I've read a ton of stuff about this because I'm fascinated by it. 
But the study of epigenetics, and the only reason I'm giving this to you, and this study was from Harvard University, is so that if it interests you, you go study it on your own and you see what conclusions that you have. I can tell you, the, the, the term was first coined in 1942. It really started taking a greater impact on our uh, health science research in the 70s. But early 2000s, 2004, 2005, did it really begin to, to take flight. And this year and next year, this has now become a $16, 17000000000 dollar industry by the pharmaceuticals who are creating drugs based off of epigenetic studies that say that these genes somehow in these little information systems, these genes, and so here's just a little picture, that, that there's DNA, these strands of DNA, and they're shaped differently and have different structures for your heart and for your nervous system and all over your body. But what sits above are these little genomes that carry information that, that proteins are sent to these genes that affect them. It opens up certain genes. It shuts down certain genes. Oh, I don't ever want to experience that again. It begins to shut that down. Oh, that's really great. Oh, that's awesome. It begins to open up. And so that not only is the DNA, the genes carried on from parent to child, which determines how tall you're going to be and, you know, what you look like and some of your behavior. But this information that affects these genes is also passed along to our children, and science has proven that. And so now when it comes to, like, a disease, they're creating drugs, pharmaceuticals, that where you can take this medication and it will begin to suppress or shut down any gene that could potentially be life-threatening, like cancer. I mean, this is fantastic research. Or people who struggle with an addiction to close those down and, and suppress those so that we can help people be freed, you know, from addictions. But it also carries our own behavior with our own decision-making and the trauma that comes along in our life. So that's all I really want to say about it. I just want you to know I'm fascinated by it. And science agrees with this biblical perspective that not only is DNA passed along, but the information of what highlights or suppresses or expresses itself in genes is passed along to your children so that you find them, you know, affected by our decisions. And according to the law, that's where it begins. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, God has created in us and in our children this unbelievable ability to no longer be negatively affected by our own poor decisions or those that preceded us. Look at this verse of scripture, 1 Peter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, if I had enough time, I would go into what all that means. That I, we would start back with why God asked each family to bring in an unblemished lamb that would be sacrificed because he did not want this passing on of, of negative decisions onto the children, including sin. 
And, and so they would roll it forward. Was it all completely forgiven? Not until the cross. But God didn't want people's lives to be negatively affected. He didn't want anybody to carry the burden of poor decisions, especially those who turned to him. And it was also represented in the scapegoat where all of Israel would bring a, a, this you know, unblemished lamb to the high priest and he would sacrifice an animal and put the blood on the scapegoat and send the goat out and it would run away from camp. And God said, I'm separating your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. You're not going to have to carry forward this poor decisions in the past. I'm going to create something. And so we know that this comes in Jesus Christ. And he has set us free from all of it. And so, but it still remains. I'm doing everything I can because I want my children blessed by God. But this is the truth. We really don't know how to turn the hearts of our children to God. Just pause for a second. Have you ever known parents who did everything they could to make sure that their children were blessed by God and turning to God, and yet you still saw the children reject God? So this is all rhetorical. And you've seen all, probably the opposite of that too. Parents say, I don't care. They don't care what happens to their children or if they turn to God or not, but those children are hungering for more of God. We're like, how do I figure that out? And just how do I get this right in my own life? How do I get this right with other people? So you see parents who struggle and struggle with what am I doing wrong? And, and how can it be reversed? How can it change? I put them in position to be blessed by God. I take them to church every week. We got them involved in youth ministry. We pray over them. We pray with them every day. We put them in Christian schools and we've done everything we can to position them so that they turn their hearts to God. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And we're trying to figure out, was God not faithful? Did he not say, hey, if you raise your children right, you know that that they will always turn, and in the end they'll turn back to me? What's wrong with that? My own parents... You know, they, they struggled with me. I can remember when I left home, one of the last messages my parents gave to me when they sat me down with tears in their eyes. They're saying, we are so sorry we have failed you. And I said, you're just trying to heap more guilt on me. And I'm not taking it. What an idiot I was. I could not see the pain inside my parents because they wanted me in heaven and they thought that that was in jeopardy. I love this story of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. I don't have the time to go over all of it, but in this story, here's a man, he couldn't walk. His friends really wanted Jesus to heal him. They said, man, if we can just get you to Jesus, your life is going to change physically, spiritually, in every way. Your life will radically be different. We just got to get you to Jesus. And she's like, I got no way to get to Jesus. So they put him on a mat, and they picked up the mat, and they ran through town carrying this man. They find where Jesus is. They get to the house. There's so many people there, they can't get inside. Not taking no for an answer. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And if you read, you know, verses 1 through 12, the whole thing, 
I mean, it's, it's awesome because Jesus not only healed him physically, he healed him spiritually. And so I'm watching that, and I'm like, okay, parents, if you're struggling with how do I turn my children's hearts toward God, how can I make sure that I've done everything I can to put them in a position to be blessed by God? This is us. This is how we fight. We grip hard, we stand together, and we keep opposing forces out. Amen? We say, I'm not letting you go. I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to hold on tight to everything I can to do everything I can to bring you to Jesus. And I'm going to partner with other people who will stand with me. And I'm not going to listen to negative forces. So here's you some good advice. The friends you want are the friends that get you to Jesus. Amen? Hold on to that. That's who you want in your life. That's who you want to surround yourself with are the people who are going to help get you and your children to Jesus. And you hold on to it. And don't let it go. Now, we still have this tension because we continue to ask, why aren't my children being drawn to God? I left home. I didn't. I wasn't drawn to God until I was in my 20s. Until I was already married and suffering through the weight of my negative decisions. I really didn't even understand how that my parents, when I was with them, covered me in my negative decisions. And when I was left alone to do this, handle this, go through this on my own, I only then began to realize the covering that my parents provided. And pain got so deep, I was not willing to suffer in that any longer. So, why aren't my children being drawn to God? If you're in the middle of this struggle today, if you're thinking, my goodness, have my negative decisions affect my children? Or if you're looking into the eyes of a child and this is your prayer, that you're going to raise them so that they will fully be blessed by God and you're just trying to figure out what can I do to make sure that I don't interfere with what God wants to do in the life of my child? Here are four things to remember. And then the lesson is yours. Number one. God wants our children blessed. I know you want your children blessed, but don't ever forget this. God loves your children more than you do. He created them with this in mind. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good, not for your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God wants you to be blessed, and he wants your children to be blessed. And sometimes you're going to think, wow, it's not working, or God doesn't care, or maybe he's asleep at the wheel, or I can't see what he's doing. And so Peter said it this way, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is going to work in the life of your children, even more than you are, to draw them to him. And we have to trust it. We have to know it, and we have to trust it. Number two, even if you're weary, love your children to the end. Don't, don't let people talk you out of giving up on your children. Well, they deserve it. No, just let them go, man. It's ruining your... Don't, don't listen to that. And so I was affected this week. John 13 was a passage I was supposed to be doing in my small group. And, and so I was, happened to be in an emergency room just waiting with some, someone 
uh, this past week, and I began to read it. And this is what I read that really just impacted me. It said, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. And I thought, man, that's such a good message for us as parents. Love well to the very end. No matter what. I know you're weary. You'll get your rest one day in heaven. But until then, you love hard and you don't let go. Because our children struggle with things. And I tell you, in the trauma ministry, as we've been doing this with foster care, there we're what we're really beginning to understand is we're just doing this more and more. Sometimes a child is so hungry, they can't think. They can't make wise decisions. They've discovered this in the schools, especially here in Escambia County, where 25% of our children go to school hungry, go to bed hungry every night. And they're bringing them into schools, and the children aren't learning. They're not listening, and they're acting out. And you know what they discovered? They're hungry. And if we'll just feed them breakfast, they'll have the energy to listen in class. And they just started feeding them breakfast. And all of a sudden, our children started learning and things started improving. Sometimes, God has given us this great ability to survive. And so what we want to do is, listen, I just want to feed you so that you can not just survive, but thrive. I want to take care of your immediate physical need so that I can open you up to more spiritual blessings. And so there are these times when our children are suffering through things and, and we got to get our hands dirty. We may not have all the answers, but we get in there with them. I am in this with you and I'm not leaving you until we figure it out. And so I'm going to get there and I'm going to help you physically because I want your life opened up spiritually. And so that's, that's and we love them well to the end. Number three. Stand in the gap for your children. This is just a start in the Old Testament. It's also a New Testament concept. Standing in the gap for your children. Here, Ezekiel was, you know, needing to rebuild the walls. Jerusalem was destroyed. And God said to him, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So I'm looking for someone who would take a stand who would say, we're not letting the enemy take over our children or our families. We're going to stand in the gap. God's like, I'm looking for someone who would take a stand with them, but I didn't find anybody. And the sad thing was people were destroyed because of it. Now, you can contrast that with Aaron and Moses in number 16. And I don't have time to go through this whole thing either, but just if you're taking notes, write all this stuff down, and you go home and study it. But the, the children of, the, of Israel made a horrible decision to turn their back on God and turn toward idols. And God had already told them, if you do that, it's not going to go well with you. And a curse came on the land and people started dying. And Moses and Aaron said, God, please stop. 
And then Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. These were the prayers of the, the saints of God's people. And lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them and the plague has already begun. And Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense, purified the people. I love this. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. You have the courage to get in with your children and fight for them. I don't care what they're struggling with. I don't care what the deal is. It doesn't matter if you think that you're embarrassed because of what's going through it. You get in and fight with them. And you stand in the gap. And whatever it takes, do not let the enemy take the heart of your child. And as a church family, we all stand together in that. Amen? I love what you do in the foster care community. And we're seeing God do amazing things in the lives of these children. And for all those of you who have opened up your homes to do it, may God overwhelmingly bless you for what you do. And number four, we place our hope in Jesus Christ. We place our hope in Jesus Christ. It sounds so simple in church. But listen, that's all we've got. All we have is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. We can't earn it. We can't fight hard enough. We submit completely to Jesus Christ. And here it is, Galatians 3. But Christ has restored, redeemed us from the curse pronounced by the law. You no longer have to worry about whether your children, whether this junk is going to be passed on or carried over to your children. Jesus broke that curse when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promise, Holy Spirit, through faith. Tyler, worship team, you guys come on up. That's good news. Is that if you're wondering, who? Is there a generational curse? Is there a generational blessing? What does the Bible have to say about it? Do I have to worry about its negative effect on my children? No. You turn your heart toward God. And Jesus Christ said, I'll take that burden on me. And I will love them well. And I'll draw them. I'll call them. Now, if you really want to pray for something, you pray for this. You pray that your children will receive Jesus Christ in their life. Your decision is not enough. We want our children saved, but they have to do it. And God is such a perfect gentleman. So you pray that God will draw your children close to him. Does that answer the question? Does anybody have any other question associated with that? That's okay. You can start the music. I'm so glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. What a message on Father's Day, right? And so fathers, let's take our responsibility seriously. God is turning your hearts for your children. He's turning their hearts to you. And that's really good news. When they look at you with eyes that are hurting, you look back at them with eyes full of hope and you walk them toward God. Let's pray together.